Everyone, David here with a new podcast episode of the Dark Spider Cast. I'm learning my lesson. I am trying to be punctual here, so I'm actually recording a little bit early, which unfortunately also means that I won't be able to cover the finale for OV1 and the third episode of Ms. Marvel. As much as I was kind of thinking to myself, should I wait? Should I wait? But last time I tried doing that, there were some issues where it just meant that the whole podcast as a whole was going to be a little on the late side. Plus, the day that those two episodes debut, Wednesday, I'm actually going to be busy for the entirety of the day, like literally from when I wake up to by the time I'm probably coming home from watching those two episodes for, for, because me and my girlfriend are both watching these two shows uh, ongoing. So it wouldn't practically make an awful lot of sense to be able to you know wait so i'm jumping the gun here but i still have those two episodes to to talk about in terms of reviews but we'll get to that in a second we also have uh, uh an existential what i've been playing this week uh one that i this has not happened it had this normally doesn't happen to me um uh, but it is a a situation where as a gamer you know you always have your your you have your moments of uh I guess you could say performance anxiety as a gamer <laughs> um, to keep it, you know, to keep it manly, quote unquote. Um, but yes, you know, I had a strange week. I had a strange week when it came to uh, playing video games. Um, outside of that, though, not a whole lot has really unfolded um, on a personal level. You know, still submitting job applications, still doing uh, the whole rigmarole. I did have an inter- interview uh, the morning of this recording, uh, at least for this plenar- preliminary part. It was uh, for a videography uh, position, or at least a videographer assistant. It's officially in the title. Um, so I took it as like, a, okay, I'm going to be helping in terms of like the shooting and all that good stuff. Uh, without going into too much detail, let's just say that it was going to be for a company that is involved in some really laborious work. And the videography angle was going to be kind of like a a part of it but not the whole of it if that makes sense you know what i'm saying like there is going to have been there would have been some uh labor work uh around houses and some of that work would have been um very very butt fuck early in the morning uh we're talking seven in the morning if not maybe even earlier as uh the interviewer was saying we're talking five or six in the morning um yeah no (laughs) no no, I'm sorry, but no. And it's funny because uh, the whole time I was thinking to myself, like, what's my out here? What What is like, like, this is not vibing with me. What's my out? And thankfully, in a matter of speaking, the interviewer kind of gave me an out um, by getting to a point in the interviewer where, and, and you know, n- nobody's right or wrong here. It's just a matter of a, a, a clash of a, fi- uh, of a, a fitting here. Uh, you know, the, like the fitting didn't work. It's like when you try on uh, a dress or a shirt or whatever and, you go through fittings. You go through fittings in order to be certain which one you're going for. And that this fitting just did not work. And it came in the form of not only, like I said, him disclosing that some of these jobs, some of these gigs that I'm going to have to go out and shoot are going to have to take place at this particular point in time that I'm not really fond of. Which is, you know, I was, I, I needed already to ingest like a shit ton of coffee just to get up at eight in the morning. Uh, imagine five or six in the morning or even fucking earlier than that. Like I need to be able to, I, I need, to be ready to work and as available as these guys are uh, doing their regular house-related jobs. It's And sure, it involves filming, but I'm like, I barely even do that with my own content. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's not going to 
it's 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 not gonna gel with me 100. Like, and they're probably gonna be able to pick up on that, uh, based on like body language and you know just the way that I'm probably gonna come across in terms of uh, you know personal uh, dis uh, just personal ambiance, like just the vibe that I give off. The out that I was for kept I keep foreshadowing and not getting to is that he the interviewer got to a point where he said that and he emphasized that he, they're looking for someone that's very very uh long term and frankly he because at this point I had I showed him my YouTube channel I sent over samples on my YouTube channel before through email and through um messages on you know on uh job recruiting sites um and he brought it up he brought up the channel on his uh, laptop to show on screen and he told me here click on one of the videos that you think you know performed really well you know with a lot of views and you shows enough a lot of like editing techniques and all this stuff and so i did that you know we're watching we're watching my content on a big screen tv uh the guy interviewing me is genuinely intrigued by the techniques and what i'm bringing to the table here the other three guys are just like what's this nerdy shit i mean you know, you don't have to look far to, you know, anyone who works in construction in some kind of house relate house building or some kind of labor work type of thing will look at my content and be like, this shit for pussies. You know what I'm saying? Like they had that face. They had that look. And uh, and that was already like red flag number one for me. Um, You, you know what I'm saying? Like they, they just kind of gave off like that, that um, reaction, that physical reaction, like who's this guy? You know what I'm saying? At least the rest of them. The guy interviewing me showed a little bit more interest. And he said that he was a nerd himself. Um, That's just, you know, what he was saying. He was wearing a, well, here's the thing. He was wearing a Doctor Who shirt, but it was the TARDIS Doctor Who Starry Night compilation. You guys, I'm pretty sure you must have seen it at least on either a shirt or a poster or a graphic or as a wallpaper. It's basically Vincent van Gogh's Starry Night, but it's modeled after, it has a Doctor Who elements in it. It has the TARDIS uh, in there and the the Daleks and, and stuff. You know, you can kind of pick apart all the different little uh, Doctor Who Easter eggs within the Starry Night compo- uh, composition. This might sound like an attack, but I feel like that image has been popularized enough to where someone can say they're a nerd and wear that shirt and I'll still ask them a specific question on something nerdy and they're still going to be like, what? You know what I'm saying? Like, I I, I don't know. I'm going to need more than th- th- just saying that you're a nerd. You know, I'm going to need to to feel it. So until proven, I feel like he could have been just along with these other guys going like, what the hell? Um but he disguised it very well if, if that was the ca- if that was the case allegedly so the outs uh, going back to the outs he said that they were looking for someone that's very long term and the reason why i brought up the youtube channel is because not only did i showcase it earlier in the interview but at one point he used that as an example of who they're looking for they said that hey we don't want someone who if their YouTube channel takes off in a few months, like three, four months, they all of a sudden quick quit and we have to look for a new guy. The fact that it got a little just a tiny, just a tiny, tiny bit personal there was enough for me to be like, I think that was I think that's my door. I think that's the door. The door. And I'm gonna take it. And sure enough, I did. I, you know, once they got to the part where they said, you know, you have any questions for us, um, that's where I laid the cards on the table. It sounds kind of cringe. You know, I know that um, 
you know, I, I, I say to a lot of people like, uh, you know, that I'm looking for this particular job where I can like edit videos, maybe shoot stuff and be comfortable within my own space. But what exactly are the chances I'm going to be comfortable doing this thing, being up on rooftops and, and, you know, God knows what at like five or six in the morning <laughs> and, you know, doing all these different, uh, doing all these different things, you, you know, for possibly something that's close to minimum wage. And sure, it involves videography, but, you know, like, I, I yeah, that, that, and, you know, I put it obviously in a professional manner where I was like, hey, it sounds like, you know, it definitely sounds clear who you guys are looking for. It looks like that's not me. Um, and that was the example that I used where I am looking, you know, I'm not going to shy away from the possibility that my YouTube channel could like take off and I could do that full time and I will be that guy. So let's be professional here, respect our time and, you know, that'll be it. And yeah, we ended the interview there, shook hands and I left. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm more than likely not going to be hearing from them again. <laughs> So, yeah, you know, we're just going to go ahead go ahead and continue to truck on, keep applying to places, uh, put out feelers. Uh, I'm still waiting to hear back from some other interviews that I have done, one of them from being last week when I mentioned that I went to L.A. and uh, such and such. So, you know, a lot of things still kind of pending. I just hope that things will accelerate. So for those of you listening, uh, I, I, I don't know what to ask except to just keep on listening, keep on supporting, but... Yeah, things are looking just a little, just a little, just a little gray uh, in the financial department to where it's, you know, I need to start like really rationing and really pulling myself together because this month, you know, without going into too much detail in terms of, like I said, numbers and and things like that before, um, this month seems to be it as far as what I can cover. I might have to start asking for some, um, some form of external help, so... Yeah, yeah, that's 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 why I don't I didn't really want to spend too much time with this like intro portion about like the personalized stuff. So let's go ahead and move on from you know try to escape from that tumultuous uh, part of things and talk about nerdy shit. Let's talk about some nerdy shit now. One of the things that I do I am really eager and and somewhat itching to talk about, but I frankly don't want to do it in podcast form. I want to do it as a video. I want to do it as a form of a documentary style kind of a video essay. And it's funny because there's some people already making fun of the concept of people starting to, you know, uh, it, uh, bring out ideas and, and even title ideas, thumbnail ideas for like a video essay centered around this topic. That's actually a little bit spi- a little spicy on comic book Twitter uh, right now. Because it's not exactly the most fond week to be a Spider-Man fan right now. It's oh my god! It's <laughs> it's quite some. It's quite a bit of a roller coaster ride to be not only a comic book fan but uh, specifically a Spider-Man comic book fan. Because not only do we have a very um, tone deaf. Miles Morales comic book uh, arc right now. It's a what if scenario if Miles Morales was Thor instead of Spider-Man, except it wasn't exactly treated in the most decadent fashion. But it to get things a, a bit more um toxic and a bit more uh, poisonous and in a more like 
you know, in a direction that you, that is a little bit heartbreaking to kind of watch and and, and unfold. We have uh, the controversy around a Spider-Man short film called Spider-Man Lotus. Some of you may already know what the controversy is. Uh, controversy is. Some of you may have heard the name Spider-Man Lotus and thought, hey, wasn't that like a fan film on YouTube? Yes. Um, like I said, I actually am not going to get too much into the weeds of this controversy because my goal is actually to make a video on this. Uh, to And David, why make a video on it? Um, you know, why feed the flames is somewhat ideally I, th- because of my filmmaking background, but it's, it's because it's taking two things that I'm passionate and I love, uh, I wholeheartedly love. If it was like one or the other, I probably would have left it alone and probably would have vocalized my opinion here on, on the podcast or uh, as a blurb on Twitter or social media post of, uh, somehow, you know, just to kind of get it out there, be done with it and move on. But it's taking two things, not one, but two things that I love, which is obviously Spider-Man, but filmmaking as well, you know, from a writing and directing standpoint, like the controversy centering around the main actor, well, two of the actors, really two of the main actors, but also the writer-director and how this is pretty much serving as a form of a cautionary tale for people who are aspiring filmmakers such as myself to look at and go, yeah, this is not how you do it. Especially when your topic at hand is like one of what, you know, one of your most loved uh, pieces of pop culture and icons, no matter how real or not real uh, he or she or they are. Um, So, you know what I mean? Like there's enough there's enough stake here for me to be like, you know what, this actually kind of deserves its own video to kind of, uh, like I said, I want to make edit it, narrate it, and write it and compose it and, and bring it all together in a very documentary style kind of way um, where it's, like I said, it serves like a cautionary tale as in like, uh, hey, this happened, uh, this is the documentation of it, and it's up to you to decide whether you want to follow this beaten path or if you want to take... Uh, a more practical approach to making a fan film of like your favorite hero, your favorite comic book property, or if you want to create an original piece of work. And again, one of the things that kind of plays into my stakes as to why I feel motivated to want to talk about this in video format is that short film angle. Because I did go to film school, I do have some experiences of where I had to write and direct a, a short film, and then when I witnessed circumstances that kind of not to the extent not to the very harsh and like i said poisonous extent that the controversy here is covering but shades of it kind of reached me nothing affected me directly thank god um but i i did have interactions with some other people during my attendance at film school that is uh you know just just a few degrees just a few degrees of separation from what was going down here in the uh, behind the scenes of the Spider-Man Lotus short film. And because of that, I'm like, yeah, I got some examples. Obviously, I can't speak for anything. Uh, I want to treat it as objectively as possible and not say that, oh, you know, the, the writer and director should do this with the film. No, that's not my place. What I want to do is, like I said, present the material, uh, the controversy as it kind of unfolded in a narrative fashion uh, objectively, and then probably end the video with, like I said, my own uh, experiences going to film school and how it thematically ties to the situation of Spider-Man Lotus. Uh, so that's the plan. That's why I don't really want to talk about it and and uh, 
breathe, breathe too much wind into the mic here about the situation because uh, a couple of things. One, like I said, uh, I have the intention to want to make a short film about this or a short documentary style kind of video on this, but also because uh, you know I want to see the, the 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 facts kind of present themselves because sometimes people jump on this shit a little too quickly, and then before you know it, like another uh, other material come to light or stuff that came to light and ended up not being true. And you want to make sure that all your facts and all your your things are in order. So I'm kind of waiting for some more things to kind of unfold and then tackle the subject head on later. So what can I talk about uh, on this nerdy podcast? Uh, well, let's get to the Obi-Wan and Ms. Marvel reviews. I won't be able to cover the finale for Obi-Wan because I haven't watched it. I'm recording the, the podcast just a little bit earlier. The Wednesday that both of these episodes debuted, I'm actually going to be pretty busy for the entirety of the day to be quite honest that i'm like yeah yeah it's gonna have to wait for next week plus you know let's realistically look at the stuff that there is to talk about as far as like gaming news movie news eat the what is what was you know looked at as not e3 time with all these showcases and events it's starting to slow down so some of these podcast episodes might end up actually being a little bit on the short side, and also it's not it's not going to be the worst thing in the world to kind of punt some of these like uh, reviews on, on the shows or the movies or what have you until the following uh, podcast. That way, there's something to talk about. There's something to chew on. Great uh, use of the phrase there, considering that on Wednesday also I have the intention, or me and the girlfriend have the intention to go see Jurassic World Dominion in front of check that movie out. So potential review on that movie next week to just kind of talk about it. Uh, being that at that point, it's going to be probably around the realm of like two weeks since the movie had been out. It's possible that I might get into spoilers. And if I do, I'll probably put out like a warning or what have you. But we'll, we'll see when we get to that. Let's talk about Obi-Wan because this is one <laughs> this is um yeah this is going to be a curious uh curious situation because this is a uh, you know this is episode 5 and when we last talked about Obi-Wan we and we we and by we I mean almost virtually everybody was just not feeling it all too well when it came to Obi-Wan to put it quite mildly um I said that the episode was really, really, really not good. Um, it was pretty meh. And then I go online to fig find out that I'm actually not the only one. Quite an awful lot of content creators, influencers, people on Twitter were ubiquitously saying, yeah, this episode was damn near trash. <laughs> you know, and we only got two episodes left. Like, what exactly can you pull together to improve on that? And we got episode five. We got episode five that deals with the ramifications of of uh, the prison breakout episode from last week, um, and more progression in terms of Riva's character, Darth Vader as a as a foreboding force. Yeah, I guess you could call it like that. And Obi Wan just being kind of Obi Wan, because here we are, episode five, the penultimate episode, which arguably was better. Than last week's episode. Was it good? I'm still going to say no. It was better. There was definitely some areas of improvement. Uh, but as I kind of put in social media. As soon as I got home. From watching the episode with my girlfriend last week. 
is that it really does feel like the show overall, and specifically Vader, are being written by two people. One person who loves Star Wars and loves Darth Vader, and then another person who hates him, or hates Star Wars, or is just completely indifferent to the mythology and lore and the way everything works in the Star Wars uh, universe. (laughs) It's becoming quite uh, apparent. And you know what? It's possible that I might go into spoilers here with Episode 5. I don't, I don't know fully. But let's just say that Episode 5, it tried to do like this thematic thing about how Obi-Wan is connected to Anakin and the middleman, or in this case, middlewoman, between their connection being Reva. We also get the revelation as to why Reva is doing the stuff that she's doing. Does it make sense? Not 100%. But there is an explanation. There's material for her to work with that brings it all home. But it's something that, you know, the show was treating as like this huge revelation. And a lot of us who, I don't know, kind of have a brain had figured out since like episode two, maybe three. We were like, yeah, that's that. Yeah, we we, we knew this. We've been knowing this. We were just waiting for you guys to pretty much confirm it. It didn't really come out of left field, but the show's treating it as like this dun dun dun. Aside from that, there's just like an awful lot of material and elements in episode five that are just handled in a way where I'm like, there was no plan or it. it, Obi-Wan. Oh God, is this going to hurt? This one's going to sting a little bit. This Obi-Wan show. And I've actually already heard some people say this, um, some reviewers and such where it might not, it might not have needed to have been a show either. They shouldn't have made this, or if they did, it should have been like a quick two-hour movie. It didn't have to be two and a half hours. It's just a quick two-hour movie. We're practically already there with the, some of the running time of these episodes, especially if we cut out the bloat that was episode four. And it would have gone straighter to the point because there's things in here where I'm like, why are we doing... Why? why? Like, it's bad enough that there's the running gag of stormtroopers being a terrible shot. They're even worse here in episode five. You'd think you it couldn't get any worse. They're literally in a hallway and they still can't hit shit. And they try to mask it by having like this shaky cam being all like action packed. And even I'm looking like, why is the camera shaking the way that it is? And that's because Deborah uh, Deborah Chow, you know, the director who I know is a very competent director because I've seen her direct other stuff of great substance. Yeah, so, uh, I don't know if she like ran out of time or what's going on, but it's they didn't really give her much to work with. So she's like, oh, just shake the camera. That way we can kind of mask how terrible these stormtroopers are inside of a fucking narrow hallway. Like, really? And then on top of that, Vader walks in. And like I said, it's 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 been as soon as Vader walks in, it's literally going back and forth, back and forth between showing how awesome Vader is as a whole and how dumb he is in this specific show because you have moments of badassery with him i'm not going to mention any specifics in case you haven't seen the episode but there's a moment here that people were remembering uh, that were uh, reminded of uh star wars the force unleashed in a great way like in a way where as soon as this happened a smile just poured all over my face and i was like okay that's cool that is awesome and then followed by a stupid moment. And then followed by a badass moment where Vader it is uh, 
showing that he is a badass by showing that he's barely putting in any kind of effort with a particular somebody. And he's like, <laughs> please. You know what I'm saying? That's badass. Followed by another stupid choice. And I'm like, what is going on with this show? What is what is wrong with this? And then people go, it, it, what it scares me the most is just seeing how some people are willing to defend it online. I actually kind of, to a certain extent, kind of got into it with uh, a certain uh, reactor's channel's comment. No, a certain reactor's video's comment section. Certain reactor, they reacted to the episode. And I didn't even comment on the video and speak to the reactor directly. But I went to the comment section and there were some people on there that are like on the verge of brainwashing themselves into thinking that this is good writing. With one person who was literally giving me the impression that it wasn't even a real person they were a bot going to it, it because here's the thing there were some people in the comment section that were criticizing the show and they were criticizing it fairly they weren't even going uh, they, they weren't even saying that the show overall was trash they were just saying that there were some badass moments like even i mentioned regarding vader uh and some cool moments some great set pieces and then there were other moments that were just dumb, like it was just going back and forth, back and forth in the writing that gets exhausting. And they were bringing up fair criticisms. You had this fucker who was going through all of those critical or criticism comments and commenting, there's nothing wrong with the show. There's nothing wrong with the show. You're wrong. Like, are you, are you kidding me right now? And I finally, I, I you know, I quote unquote, YouTube blacked out and saw red. And I just went in saying, dude, are you commenting on all of these criticism comments with the exact same comment trying to defend this? And they responded saying, but there's nothing wrong with the show. And I'm like, it, th that's not the problem. The problem is that people like you are creating this echo chamber that breeds this like toxic positivity thing that has led to the problems that we're having behind the scenes with YouTube. You know, and uh, if you guys want more information on that, you know, look at last week's episode where I kind of touched on this on the on the podcast episode on the podcast services exclusive version of the episode as opposed to the YouTube version uh, where I reference a particular point of drama that's going on behind the scenes with YouTube in, uh, inquiring two parties, one that was trying to abuse the copyright system versus another and sadly youtube took the side of the abuser and there's no justice going on right here it's perpetuating that if you really think about it i mean it's not to that scale obviously it's not to that extent but it's kind of linked somewhat to that i and i, and I reference this i reference this in my comment clapping back at this dude never responded back and I, you know, I, th I I, honestly just thought of that as my own personal victory. I didn't comment any further. I didn't comment on any other comments on that section. I was like, you know what? I came in here. <laughs> I came in here to what I needed to do, and I bounced. And I was like, all right, that's it. You know, he didn't respond. It, I take that as like, a, eh, you know, I'm right, right? And they never responded back despite their, there's nothing wrong with the show. There's nothing wrong with the show with all these other comments criticizing the show. Or critiquing the show, and I'm like, all right, there it is. They never responded back. Kind of proves my point, because they they knew that they didn't really have anything kind of firm to stand on. So there it was, and I'm like, all right, well, I'm out. And that I still stand by that with the Obi Wan show, where here I am, just a couple of days before the finale, 
of a miniseries. This is not intended to have a second season. And I'm not looking forward to it. There's very little of what they could potentially do to wrap up the current ongoing storylines that I'm just kind of winded. As some other critics on YouTube mentioned, it's like going back and forth between some cool moments, some dumb moment, cool moment, dumb moment, that I'm like, there's no consistency here. And because of that, I'm going into the finale thinking it's going to be inconsistent. So what do we have? And it it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart because I was genuinely looking forward to a badass Obi-Wan show. And yet here I am thinking, is it just me or does Obi-Wan feel like a supporting character in the show that's called Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi? God damn. But like I said, it was better because of some of those badass moments. Uh, there were some character beats. There's a moment where, they, like I said, they were trying to thematically tie it to a flashback um, that could have used a little extra rendering time in the computer via some de-aging uh, shots uh, that didn't look all too well, uh, well-purposed. But the intention I can respect of what they were trying to do. Uh, there was even one particular physical maneuver uh, that I thought was uh, well enacted. That was thematically tied to, again, that flashback that I thought was uh, pretty decent and pretty cool. Um, and Reva herself was an overall better character than she was on the fourth episode because of that material of her tie to Vader, to Obi-Wan, and what her purpose is here in the grand scheme of things. Again, it doesn't. It has holes in it, um, but overall, it, you know, it has holes in it. It pokes holes into Vader's character, pokes holes into things that are coming up here in the future involving Star Wars rebels and all this other kind of stuff Uh, so like i said episode five better not good but better and yet here we have episode two of miss marvel which was pretty much on par with episode one i'm not gonna say it was all that much better because it was pretty much an episode that harnessed a little bit more on kamala's powers her you know she you know, this is kind of considered a spoiler, I guess, even though you kind of see this coming. It's not a huge revelation. But she finally got her powers at the end of Episode 1. Episode 2 explores more about her training with said powers while at the same time still trying to figure out about where these powers kind of come from. It still lingers a little bit on the high school element, uh, but no more than the first episode did. Uh, so not a whole lot to really chew on with Episode 2, but there's still... A lot of the basically what I'm saying is that there's a reason it, it it kind of puzzles me that Obi-Wan got a two episode premiere, but Miss Marvel didn't because the episode two of Miss Marvel not only ends on a pretty interesting cliffhanger, but it has kind of like the same wavelength in terms of what I can kind of criticize and what I absolutely loved about episode one. So the criticisms that I had about episode one about the high school stuff being still kind of fluffy in there is still lingering a little bit here in episode two. Um, but the strengths, as far as, like I said, the identity, um, the connection to its culture and the way that it treats like text messaging and camera work. There's a sequence here where she has pretty much her own personal dance number inside of her house, uh, that is orchestrated really well with the lighting. And it was a joy to see. It was a very feel good moment. Uh, you know, things going on with her family that, you know, while, frustrating it's necessarily frustrating because like i said it ties into the culture it resonates with me because you know there's similar things going on with my background my ethnicity um i'm not you know for the record i'm not pakistani i'm mexican but there's some things that i've had to deal with uh, you know being a a mexican child of of sorts that i'm like yeah i i can 
kind of understand, you know, certain angles here. Uh, and that's brought on a little bit more here with episode two. Uh, I would probably say that, like I said, there was something that at first was going to be a criticism, which was this new character introduced that <laughs> was being treated as like this, you know, amazing, good looking guy. And I'm over here going like, I think. I think I have more muscle than this guy. Why is he coming out of the pool that way? <laughs> Why are they shooting him this way? Uh, but like I said, the way that the cliffhanger uh, kind of uh, it, it, you know brings about things full circle towards the end here with episode two, and the way it's able to tie to No Way Home in a sense, I'm like, okay, all right, you know, I, I now we understand why this guy. You know, just becomes introduced the way that he is. It's because there's actually something a little deeper here, and contrary, completely contrary to Obi Wan, I actually you know finished Miss Marvel. You know, the credits are rolling, and here I am going. I am way more excited to see Episode Three of Miss Marvel than I am the finale for Obi Wan. Still, how can this happen? How, this is this is absolutely crazy, which is why it stung a little bit to read the recent uh, reports recently that Miss Marvel currently holds the record, quote unquote, for the lowest viewed uh, Disney Plus Marvel show. Uh, gee, I wonder why. <laughs> and they, I love how transparent they were with the numbers. They were like, yeah, the lowest viewership. But guess what? Most of that viewership uh, had a higher ratio of pretty much minorities you know black hispanic muslim um you name it uh versus the other marvel shows yeah because most of the time that's why that's what we minorities do we show up we show up N- enough said anyways yeah i'm going to get off the get off the soapbox here but overall yeah miss marvel episode 2 was just as fun and and unique as that first episode. Like I said, so, some of the criticisms, some of the fluff is still kind of there as far as like the high school stuff. There's one scene that I will admit kind of pauses the momentum of the episode where you have a character that you know literally pauses the episode to say things that we've we're kind of already getting the gist of as far as like socially commenting on things that are going on right now that I was like okay you know you know we were already getting some clever in fact there's one um there there's something that there's <laughs> without going too deep into it there was actually one moment one line in this episode where that commented on something that involves the culture from from over there that I thought was a very tasteful way of calling this particular element out that without going into too much detail, let's just say that it's something that has been around for quite literally centuries in this culture, and yet for some reason they still are doing it over there. You know what I'm saying? Like there's still an unfair thing going on over there in the Middle East and in South Asia uh, that is uh, depressing to see is still happening and that has not gotten with the times but because it's rooted in the religious upbringing of that culture and whatnot you know it's something that me talking into the microphone is not going to fix it obviously uh but miss miss marvel had a very tasteful one line just a simple line it didn't pause the episode it just had this one line that was subdued you know wasn't in your face but kamala says a line that made me go hey I know what you know. 
I, I, I saw, I, I read the subtext behind the line that I was like, I like that, that, that was carefully managed while commenting on this thing that has always irritated me about how things are handled over there in, in that part of the world that I know can't be changed. You know, like I said, me speaking to the microphone, you know, that that's not going to change it because of, you know, there's, there's much, there's more levels, there's more dimension, there's more to it than just saying, Oh, that's wrong. That they should change that. I, I know that that's not going to happen. Um, but it is nevertheless uh, uh, frustrating to kind of witness this and see some injustices go down because of it. And it was very tasteful for Ms. Marvel to tackle that with just like a very quick line. So that's why the the, the preceding ep- I mean uh, preceding scene of a character of two characters in the bathroom with one of them pretty much like I said pausing the episode to say you know all my life this this is I was like and it's funny because the character is likable the character that is saying this she's likable but I was like uh, we just kind of tackle this it's a little redundant you know we can kind of move on and thankfully it, it doesn't last too too long to really drag the episode so that was again another little criticism that i had with the episode but overall everything else that was making it fun we see more of her powers like i said not only with a training montage but with her finally trying to uh put them into use towards the end of the episode leading us into like i said the cliffhanger that made me go like holy shit i'm down for episode three bring it on i'm ready for it more so than even the Obi-Wan finale is like, yeah, this is currently the, the hook that I have more so for whatever it is that's going down on Disney Plus at the very least until, what, Star Wars Andor comes out or Thor Love and Thunder? I don't know. But, yeah, if guys, check out Ms. Marvel. You know, like I said, the reports are showing in that it's gotten one of the lowest turnouts for a Disney uh, Marvel Disney Plus show. Let's let's try to turn that around. All right. So this week's what I've been playing is going to be a very one of the more difficult what I've been playing segments to be quite frank only because have you have any of you that are listening to this, whether it be on the podcast platforms or on the YouTube channel, have any of you, you know, if you're a gamer of any kind, have you ever had some form of what you would call gamer or gaming existential crisis where you just feel like something's been kind of off as far as gaming is concerned, like your relationship with gaming is concerned, where you're like... I'm I'm playing video games. I'm technically gaming, you know, I'm I'm going through my backlog and yet I'm finding a difficult I'm having difficulties having some kind of affinity or connection with the games that I'm currently playing. So, last week I talked about Tunic and how this was what was ultimately a very critically well-received game that a lot of people were praising that you know I saw reviews afterwards after I beat it after I I finished it I watched reviews I checked up what people's opinions overall were and they were all generally favorable there were a couple of criticisms but they were all like ranging between like the 8s and 9s I barely saw anything that was under those forms of uh scores or or or, or even percentages so the way that I kind of ranked, like I, I barely score things these days. I, I feel like after a little while, I got kind of tired of scores, uh, both figuratively and literally in the sense that I got tired of trying to internalize everything that I felt about something into a specific score because these days uh, scores sometimes create more problems than they solve. 
and also on the literal or technical side, it was getting, it was just becoming a little bit of a nuisance to put up a graphic or some kind of motion graphic or text file or something like that. Uh, whenever I would edit videos and I would have a uh, a scorecard pop up or be animated on screen, especially back in the day between like 2007 and 2010-ish, 11-ish, or th- actually, you know what, maybe even later than that, like 2012, 2013. Uh, between those years, I would constantly be scoring things that I would review, whether it be figures, movies, games, and would often put those uh, scorecards on. Uh, but there would just be an extra amount of editing work. And, you know, back in the day, it was a lot tougher to kind of break into YouTube. So I kind of, over time, started to phase out scores and phase out that extra step in my in my personal editing process. But if I were to score Tunic, I would actually be scoring it just a little bit lower, somewhere between the 6 or 7s, because, like I said, I had more significant problems with the game, and I just didn't find... Um, like I said, that correlation or that connection with the game like other people did in terms of how transient they felt uh, playing it. I was just thinking to myself over here like, yeah, you know, there was on paper a lot of great interesting ideas, specifically the one with the manual. But execution-wise, I feel like it created more problems than, than my, my, my time was worth. And because of that, I ended up turning on the no-kill mode, or I'm sorry, well, no-fail mode on for the majority of the game just so I can get to credits. And even then, I ended up with a shitty ending that can only be fixed by doing things that I normally program my brain to thinking are collectible side stuff, you know, side content, like gathering collectibles and such. This game was actually telling me, oh, no, you actually kind of have to do that if you want, like, a more satisfying ending. And I'm like, well, to YouTube I go. And sure enough, I looked it up on YouTube. So movie. another reason why I wanted to get Tunic out of the way is because it was one of the more critically acclaimed games of this year, 2022. So I figured, okay, you know, for the topic of discussion of not only the podcast to stay kind of contemporary, but also for the potential game of the year discussion towards the end of the year, uh, let me see, you know, it, let me get it out of the way. And it's on Game Pass. It's, you know, less uh, risk and, and, and um, more reward, so to speak, because it's part of the service. And I have a membership. Likewise, there was also this other game that dropped this year on Game Pass called Weird West, which is one of the games that I'm going to be talking about in the segment. And basically what it is, similar to Tunic, it's an uh, isometric top-down action RPG with some slight sim qualities, sim elements. It, it, right off the bat, uh, one of the things that kind of alerted me to the game was the very unique art style, the way it's able to take a supernatural approach to the Old West. Think of the comic books, not the movie, but comic books like Jonah Hex, uh, Preacher, uh, things like that. You know, it, it, it material like that where they take the supernatural out of uh, worldly otherworldly stuff and then mesh it into something that's a bit more antiquated like the the old west and that's pretty much what you end up with as far as the mythology and the lore the backstory of of the game weird west except it's done with this like 2d hand-drawn art style to a lot of the graphics and things that come up on the screen um but it's still kind of developed within a 3d i think it's using the unity engine i might be wrong about that but it's top down uh it's twin stick in terms of how the shooting and interacting mechanics work uh, if any of you have played The Ascent from last year, that was also on Game Pass, which was the first game that I thought about when I booted this thing up. I was like, oh, okay, you know, it might be playing like The Ascent, except The Ascent had RPG mechanics, but it was very much a shooter. It had a very strong emphasis on sh- on the sh- on the shooter aspect. This has more emphasis on trying to build this RPG kind of like 
Like every time you make a decision or you talk to someone, there's a lot of like, you do this or your party did this. Kind of like old school tabletop RPGs, like actual like pen and paper kind of stuff, but baked into a video game. Um, so it's kind of leaning more so towards that instead of shooting. Even though there's shooting involved, it's not a shooter, if that makes any kind of sense. And that's honestly where one of my first problems lie in because this might be potentially a, a spoiler. But I was very glad to hear or to read up to kind of ruin it for myself for me, even though I was eventually going to figure this out within the preceding hour, that Weird West is like a 20-hour game, which sounds kind of lengthy, especially for the type of genre and the type of style that it's got. But I was then I then learned that it kind of makes sense when you realize that it's actually tackling five stories in one. So it's actually tackling five characters and their five individual stories and how they're all connected, kind of in a Pulp Fiction anthology kind of way. And so once I realized that, I thought to myself, okay, this kind of pleases my OCD a little bit, realizing that I'm about to wrap up the first characters, the first protagonist's storyline, which is about roughly four, five, maybe six hours, um, and I was on the last mission, uh, which is known as the Bounty Hunter. Because up until that point, I was just like with Tunic, and again, this is where a little bit of my gaming existential crisis started to really take full effect. I was just not feeling this game. I really wasn't, which was disappointing and and uh, saddening. Considering how when I went in, I thought to myself, "Well, oh, this is gonna be like uh this is gonna be like the Ascent. It's gonna be a a Wild West meets supernatural material." version of the ascent from last year that i really really liked despite it being kind of buggy as i rolled in rolled in i got the first couple of hours out of the way and i thought i went to bed thinking to myself okay i'm liking this so far let's continue on through and it was the next day when i put in a a few more hours leading into that final mission that i thought to myself oh my god i made a mistake (laughs) because unlike the ascent like i mentioned before the game focuses a little bit more on that tabletop kind of aspect that's just incorporated into a video game. And likewise, with those tabletop games, an awful lot of sim-like qualities are also baked in. What I mean by that is that sometimes it tries to sim, meaning simulate, a lot of real-world aspects where, like, say, for example, if you want to heal yourself, you can only heal yourself by either using bandages, which are very scarce, or cooking and eating food. The food when you gather food, you still have to cook it. You can't eat it right away, which I'm like, okay, that's fine. But what is not fine is being not being able, unlike Red Dead, for example, being able to cook food and not save it for later. Instead, your character cooks the food, eats it, heals up, and then that's it. You know, once you go out into the weird west it's just like the old west you must make sure you ration your stuff otherwise you can't carry it with you i'm like what what that doesn't make any sense but okay whatever it gets even worse when the shooting is made even more terribly by again making it ultra realistic this is the weird west you got to make sure you ration those bullets because guess what the next time you come across the bullets going to be an hour fucking later yeah, that's going to be a no for me, dog. To quote to quote Randy uh, Randy Jackson because you're, you know, playing as this bounty hunter for the for opening 5 or 6 hours, this first opening mission, you know, this girl, her name is Jane, and she's a badass, you know, it's just a cool character to play as, but 
you know, as you progress, you gain all these weapons, and yet the only one that gets actually good amount of ammo is arguably the shittiest gun, which is the shoddy, the shotgun, because she sucks at reloading it. She sucks at reloading it. You have to manually reload it. Once you shoot your two shots, you don't automatically reload. You you cock it, and it's like, like that, and I have to reload, which I'm like, okay, you know, you're trying to be realistic, but it doesn't make sense, and it's rather inconsistent when that gun does that, but then the regular pistol and the rifle don't do that. You run out of the clip, she automatically reloads by when you hit the trigger again. How does that make sense? I'm sorry, you know, pregnant pause here. And to make matters worse, like I said, going back to that ammo, it's super scarce, but you get a bunch of shotgun shells for, like I said, the worst gun, the most inconsistent gun. But then the other ones that do a good chunk of damage, uh, you barely find any bullets. You you loot a corpse, you find one bullet. You uh, break down a gun, you get one bullet. I'm over here like I'm scrounging and yet the enemies are moving way faster than me. And I understand that, again, going back to the RPG aspect of this game, you're able to get, you know, gain these uh, items that are, help you pretty much build up your skill tree. Build, you know, you got these uh, Niflifem pieces, I, I think Niflifem pieces, I think they're called, and they're used to give you some extra abilities. You got these golden ace cards that you can pretty much uh, put into a skill tree that give you perks, and perks are pretty much like, oh, you can reload fast. You can uh, heal up quicker using your uh, first aid kits or you have a bigger bar of, of HP. But again, those resources are also kind of scarce playing into the whole sim aspect of the game that just like I said, the overall experience just wasn't pleasant. So it's only made even worse by having a plethora of bugs. Certain characters you know, glitching in a way where you know the character is saying, oh, you can't fast travel because there's enemies in the area. Where are the enemies? And here's the thing, there's only so much of a tolerance that I have for glitches, but I am prejudiced as all fuck for crashes. And this game, during those first five hours, crashed on me three times. And did I forget to mention that this game does not support quick resume on the Xbox Series X? So I have to load up from the main menu and God knows wherever it is that quick saved or I manually last quick saved, which means I can lose a decent chunk of progress, which I did at least two out of the three times. One of the times that I crashed, thank God it happened right after it automatically saved for me. But otherwise, yeah, if you were traveling from one town or the other, they have to do pretty much Pokemon style. You know, you select the area on the map and your character has to walk there. And along the way there, you can be ambushed by enemies, which can maybe if you flip through these menus a little too quick enough, you could lose progress because the fucking game crashes. Yeah. Like I said, my OCD was placated to learn that at least I can wrap up the Bounty Hunter storyline with her final mission, you know, kind of give her some sense of quote-unquote closure, and then once you do that, you jump into the second character storyline, which bums me out because this second character is actually really much more interesting, and that's, and that's already after I said that Jane was kind of a cool character, not the best character, not the most compelling character, but interesting because, you know, she's a bounty hunter, and she's got the archetypal 
old west uh, bounty hunter storyline kind of cliche but at the same time it's a good way to kind of uh, get you indoctrinated into the lore into the mythological and horrific characters and, and creatures that are roaming this area uh, but her storyline is pretty simple and straightforward when it comes to the Old West. You know, she's a retired bounty hunter that was trying to live the calm life, but uh, obviously, you know, the, the old ways uh, caught up with her and she has to dig up her irons once more and saddle up, you know, unforgiven type shit. Um, once we got to the second character, which deals with this pig-human hybrid, I was like, okay, this is actually way more interesting and it bums me out to see that I actually still ended up dropping the game because the only thing that I can think about is making good progress in the game. And just because I, I didn't manually autosave, the game crashes after already three crashes. I give it the old school three, uh, three strikes you're out mentality. And here it is crashing. And I'm like, nah, I, I'm sorry. But maybe I'll come back to finish off the storyline and then proceed with the three remaining ones later on in the future once I get some bigger AAA titles. I don't see this thing disappearing from Game Pass anytime soon. And thank God for Game Pass because if I had paid for this, I probably would have been a little bit more upset. I'm curious to see how other people are handling this game, whether it be on Steam or PlayStation. Surprisingly, not on Switch. Which is weird because considering, like I said, the top-down view and the 2D style to the cinematics and the, the art style of the characters popping up on the screen. Uh, I mean, there's not even any voice work whenever the lines come on screen. You, I was expecting some. The only voices you hear, the only actual English voice you hear is the narrator. You know, with the, this, you know, begruffed Old West kind of voice. You know, Timothy Oliphant kind of style of narration. That, that sort of thing. <laughs> uh, all the other characters literally mumble to each other. Whenever they talk, uh, whenever you see the the text pop on the screen. Outside of that, like I said, it's it's low lift enough for it to initially make me think, why is this not on Switch? But after all the crashes and physical bugs that it was dealing with, I'm like, yeah, it probably wouldn't even last that long on the Switch to begin with. So hopefully, once I pick it up a second time, they'll iron out some of the kinks. Because right now, thank God for Game Pass. Otherwise, I probably would have um, probably would have buried. Uh, this game out in the um, in the in the desert wasteland, but as it stands, I'm gonna take care of some other games, get through some of my backlog a little quicker, whether it be for the 2022 uh, calendar year or some stuff that I've been meaning to play for quite literally years, and then maybe if there's a low later on the year, I will go back to the Weird West. So with all the frustrations of a contemporary 2022 game like Weird West, that was I think getting some. Pretty decent reviews, except Skillup did put his famous "I do not recommend" thing in the title, so I feel like maybe, just maybe, I'm not the I'm not the only one, and maybe this is a much more divisive game than I was initially thinking it was going to be. So I thought to myself, "There's got to be something in my backlog that you can consider to be fast food gaming, in the sense that it's you know empty calories, it's quick, straight to the point." just you know fodder for shooting it's nothing of great substance i know let me load up battlefield hardline <laughs> yes i literally went into my game pass backlog of games that i wrote down as games that i looked at and said i want to play this you know even though it may not look like the greatest game it's just something that i kind of want to get out of my backlog and i don't mean to play everything every single thing that's on game pass but there's some things that will just initially stand out to me and through the ea play part of Game Pass that's tied into it, 
I did in fact play Battlefield Hardline over that over this past uh, weekend, and quite literally through the weekend is all it took me to play this game because the campaign is quite literally took me what six seven hours long, um, and it's very very shallow. How can I put this? It's pretty much a Michael Bay scaled video game version of a TV police procedural. Like, take your pick. Not so much uh, Law and Order, but more so like NCIS, CSI, um, even Miami Vice at some points, especially because a, a chunk of the game even takes place in Miami. But basically, you play as this dude, this straightforward cop named Nicholas Mendoza, and you pretty much, <laughs> you pretty much, you know, are trying to take care of the bad guys while at the same time tackling with some kind of corruption ring within your division. And of course, shit will eventually hit sideways. Some people that you thought were clean are dirty, and the people that you think are super, you know, fishy and dirty are actually going to be your allies. You can, you can literally look at some of these characters and be like, yeah, I know how this is going to go. You, you know how this is going to pan out the end. There's literally no... It's it's weird because I'm going to jump the gun a little bit here, jump a little ahead. I watched reviews for this game from back in the day, from back in like 2015 when this game came out from like IGN or whatever. And a lot of them are saying that, oh, the story is one of the best ones in Battlefield history because it's got all these like twists and turns of what the story is and, 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 and it's fresh. And I'm like, how the fuck is this fresh? Like the only thing that we agree on is that it's paying it's, it's, you know, lifting from those TV procedurals, like I mentioned, like NCIS or whatever. But as far as being fresh and having twists and turns, like I said, there's so many characters that I'm like, well, you're the bad guy. Yeah. You're, you know, even if you're being nice right now, you're probably going to you know, betray me and you seem like the fishy guy, but we're probably going to end up going to be buddies. So, you know, it, it's just the t typical shit. But again, after dealing with Weird West, I'm like, I, I you know, I, I need this. I need a game that's very short. It's all about shooting bad guys. It's all about the hokiness. And frankly, Battlefield Hardline in that respect, for the most part, delivered as far as the shooting, the set pieces. Um, wish it was a little consistent on the frame rate, uh, which is, you know, saying quite a lot right now, especially with the Series X. I'm bummed out that it didn't get necessarily a performance boost because even though the gameplay is at 60 FPS, I can tell it's delivered at a very uh, chunky resolution. I think it's like 800 and something P. I, I can eat, I can definitely tell it's not 1080p. So it's not 1080p, 60. It's more like 900p, 60 or 800 something, 60. And then on top of that, there was a bit in the game towards the end where it, I'm not going to say it uh, corrupted, well, it corrupted. It, it corrupted my file in a way where I had to restart the chapter, which was almost an entire hour's worth of gameplay. So that was a ginormous bummer. And I was I was really pissed off to make to the point where I was like, am I really going to have to look the rest of this up on, on, you know, it's not like, it's not exactly like I'm dealing with high caliber writing cinematics and gameplay. Do I really have to look this up on YouTube? Like, is this really going to be a consistent thing? Thankfully it didn't happen again, but I did have to replay an hour or maybe even less than an hour, more like 40, 45 minutes because I was able to skip some of the cutscenes. And well, actually, no, I was not able to skip the cutscenes, but I was able to um pretty much know where the bad guys are and deal with some of the scripted areas to where to be like, okay, you know, once I take care of this one guy or grab this piece of gear, I know that this other car is going to show up here and that's where I can enter and trigger this 
action and such. So I was kind of I was able to expedite some of the stuff. Outside of that, though, like I said, it's battlefield, except it takes place on American soil with these areas that are, like I say, playing to the hokiness and into the campness of shows like Miami Vice, NCIS, things like that. So if you have Game Pass and you've been meaning to get a Battlefield game out of the out of the way, Battlefield Hardline is a pretty decent ex- escape. Just make sure that you know you could be ready for a particular crash at any given moment. But if you're willing to tolerate that or be ready for that, eh, it's it's not a bad time. I can't speak for the multiplayer because I know a lot of these reviews that I watched after the fact uh, were mentioning an awful lot of the multiplayer. Frankly, though, I didn't play it because I'm not a multiplayer guy. The, the game is quite literally seven years old. I don't even know if there's anyone playing this thing, so don't don't come at me when it comes to the multiplayer because I didn't even try it at, at all. Um, but from what I hear, there were some decent modes in there from the, those original 2015 reviews. But out, if you're just looking for, like I said, an escape for the weekend for with a very schlocky but kind of fun uh, campaign... Battlefield Hardline is actually not too bad, and I would recommend it for any Game Pass members out there. So folks, you really mustn't get me wrong when I say that there I was editing last week's podcast and thinking to myself... I feel bad not holding out just long enough, just a smidge, to not cover the Final Fantasy VII 25th anniversary stream as well as the Dragon's Dogma video. The 10th anniversary Dragon's Dogma video, which both literally went up at the exact same time, Thursday, June 16th at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Um, of course, one kind of took a little, just a little bit more precedent than the other in the sense that, you know... I know that Dragon's Dogma's got a little bit of an underrated sort of uh, following, a cult following, some would say, but Final Fantasy VII, you know what I'm saying? Like, 25th anniversary, and with an ongoing remake project, there was no way to not pay attention to that. So I tuned in to not only the Final Fantasy VII 25th anniversary stream, uh, first and foremost, but I also did it through the guise of Maximilian Dude's stream to see kind of his live reaction, to see the chat's reaction, and to kind of... Just, you know, feel the hype should there be any. And here's the thing is that this is going to be a potentially brief segment. You know, not not going to go into a very long tangent and as much as Maximilian Dude himself because he is known to breaking this shit down. Like, he spent, I want to say on the cusp of like two, two and a half hours just ta- talking nonstop about Final Fantasy VII in that initial first stream. Like, the following days, the following two or three days, he did even more subsequent two-hour, three-hour chunk streams of just talking about the, you know, remake and what's going on in the future for Final Fantasy VII, uh, for Final Fantasy overall from Square Enix, etc. So, I watched the streams, and both things, both events, both showcases, so to speak, were about like 10, 10-ish minutes, maybe 12, 15-ish, around that realm. So, there's not a whole lot to talk about, Let's, let's but... It's funny, in terms of quantity, there's not a lot to talk about, but in terms of quality and substantial news, there are some some bombs here to refer to. So, let's get some of the fluff out of the way as far as the Final Fantasy VII uh, 25th anniversary stream, because there were a couple of things that even Max, Maximilian Dude, he, he himself was even looking at this stuff and going, you know, he was tapping his wrist going, hey, Time, time, because he knew ahead of time. I don't know if someone told him or if he was, uh, if they were hinting at this, 
but they were kind of teasing that this was meant to be a short event. This was supposed to be on the realm of being about 10 or 15 minutes. So the fact that I want to say about a third, the first third or so of the event had to do with merch on the merch store, whether it be uh, statues of Cloud Strife himself from Play Arts Kai or Static Arts, whatever the, the company is. Uh, there's a uh, silver ring, a Shindra silver ring, uh, you know, replica, a uh, digital clock that's modeled after the Buster Sword. These are all cool-looking stuff, but yeah, like Max himself was saying, you know, please do not spend a terrible amount of time, and they really didn't. I, I want to say that... The merch stuff was like literally 60 seconds tops. What did get a little worrisome is that then we went into some mobile game stuff with a pretty much a episodic single player mobile game called Ever Crisis, Final Fantasy 7 or yeah, Final Fantasy 7 Ever Crisis allows players to experience the world of Final Fantasy 7 and its connected stories including that of the original Final Fantasy 7 except it's pretty much Ever Crisis is pretty much as he put it a remake of 7 but it's not in a console space. It's not going to be like the way Remake from 2020 played out. It's going to play out the same way that, you know, with the static backdrops, kind of like an isometric, excuse me, I'm choking, a uh, top-down view. It's not going to be a fully realized remake like the 2020 version was at all, especially with the gameplay. The gameplay is strictly turn-based. It's going to have like a couple of little... Um, you know, dynamic animations here, there, and of course, some of those animations might be taxing on whatever kind of phone you're using. So you better make sure that your your phone is up to snuff there. But that's pretty much what Ever Crisis is, and it's meant to be for mobile, uh, iOS and Android. Um, staying on the cusp of mobile here, we also got to look at the First Soldier season three is underway. There's going to be more content being divulged into uh the First Soldier mobile game, which is meant to be like this third person horde kind of shooter. Again, stuff that was kind of like, all right, that's cool and all, but it's mobile. It's not meant to be like a humongous deal. And then we started, they started to transition now into some more uh, meteor stuff. Now, granted, this by itself is cool, but it's not like the biggest, most breaking thing, which is that Final Fantasy VII Remake Integrate, which is basically the remake from 2020, as well as Integrate, which is the Yuffie DLC, is coming to not only Steam, uh, on PC, but it's also verified for the Steam Deck. If I still had my Steam Deck, I would be a little bit more glowing right now, but it's still pretty cool for those of you who do have a Steam Deck to now pretty much be able to take Final Fantasy VII Remake on the go. And we can only assume that sometime in the future, other things involving the Remake project are probably going to be Steam verified as well. They're probably not going to be day one, but, you know, they're going to be they're going to be coming along the way. Like, it's not outside of the realm of possibility to assume that something like this could happen with other projects that I'm about to get into here. Which is then when we start to finally transition in the back half of this entire stream, this entire event for Final Fantasy VII 25th anniversary that we finally got ourselves to beef boys, beefy boys of some news. The first one is actually really, really cool. In fact, I would probably say this is what would be probably the most surprising out of the two. The other one was the the other one wasn't really surprising by itself. It was just surprising that they showed it here. This one was just surprising overall, in my opinion, which is that we are getting pretty much a more than a remaster, but not a full-on remake of Crisis Core, dubbed Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII Reunion. 
I'm reading this article off of the official Square Enix blog post. This prequel to Final Fantasy VII focuses on Zack Fair, a Buster Sword wielding soldier who has a hugely important role in the series that we're definitely not going to talk about here. This, <laughs> that's what they said. This new game is a full remaster, so they're calling it a remaster, but I'm willing to go the extra mile to say that it's more of a remaster, but not a full-on remake. It's striking that balance in the middle. I'm trying to think what other game did that. I'm blanking out right now. I, I want to say the remasters of 10 and 10-2 are kind of like that. Um, and even 8 or 9. One, one of those where they... It's a remaster. It's it's a little bit more of a remaster because they kind of swapped out assets. They didn't clean them up. They actually gave new asset, put new assets into the game, but they didn't remake every single thing from the ground up. And the gameplay still the same. The skeleton of the gameplay, the core, the core blueprint of all that, of those old, all those mechanics are still in there. They haven't really been touched up. Uh, performances, voice acting, and stories still exactly the same. Nothing like that that got tampered with. And it's seeming like this Crisis Core remaster is pretty much doing the same thing. But as it says here in the article, the new game is a full remaster of the PSP original and brings the game and its unforgettable story up to date for modern platforms. It will launch this winter, so we can assume somewhere between December and February, on PS5, PS4, Xbox Series X and S, Xbox One, Steam, and Nintendo Switch. Nintendo Switch. So keeping in line with the portable aspect of the original platform that this debuted on the PSP. And to me, the reason why I find this one of the more surprising aspects of this stream, of this uh, huge event, is because Crisis Core is a game that often got talked about when it, it came to genuine games to play on the PSP. But I missed out because I never really had proper access to a PSP. And right now, th that's going to be even much more difficult considering that the fucking thing is probably super expensive to come by on third-party websites and to also find a very good functioning copy of Crisis Core. It's like, yeah, it would probably do them some service to bring this game to a remastered state for new uh, console, uh, consoles, new platforms. And to see it come to Switch or even the Steam through, and maybe be able to be playable through the Steam Deck, I was like, you know what? You, know, you can kind of keep the livelihood of Crisis Core there alive while at the same time modern, modernizing it in a way. And I've seen already some of the comparison shots between the original assets on the PSP and the new ones that are going to be coming in this reunion version. And man... Like I said, the the difference is stark enough that I look at it and go, yeah, th this is this feels more uh, of a remaster, but not quite the remake, if that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't look built from the ground up, but it also looks like they did more than just polish up and make things HD all of a sudden. You know, they did other things. Um, so it strikes that balance again. I'm blinking out on the other game that they've done this with. Not only Square Enix, but a couple of other uh, developers. They've done this as well. Um, I'm just blanking out right now as far as what examples. But but when I saw this go live on the stream, I was like, yeah, I think I, I think they they're they're doing similar to that other game that I'm thinking about. It's like I said, it's a th tip of my tongue, but for some reason I cannot procure that example right now. It it really sucks. And then it ended with the big big bomb that. Uh, you know, a lot of us knew was coming down the pipeline, but we just didn't think that they were going to show anything here. Maybe mention it, maybe reveal the title, but to show us not only footage, but possible early, like, pre-alpha gameplay of pretty much Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two, now dubbed Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. The fact that it's retitled, instead of being Remake Part Two, they're calling it Rebirth, it pretty much, you know, we all had our theories, but it pretty much solidifies 
that Square, Square Enix, along with us, is pretty much saying, yeah, it, this is not really a remake anymore. It's more like you're getting a sequel trilogy to 7 remake where it's like, we're doing something different. You know what I'm saying? And without going into spoilers, for those of you who have not played the remake, the 2020 remake of FF7, um, let's just say it ends in a way where it's like, even if you played the original, you legit might not know what's going down going in in the in the next you know two entries which they've confirmed this is going to be a trilogy so the, the third one doesn't have a title but the second one is called rebirth and it's set to come out next winter i noticed that they chose their words carefully though keep in mind they're saying next winter they didn't say winter 2023 if they said winter 2023 then okay december 2023 which means you know just a, about a year and a half away and that sounds doable but the fact that they said next winter makes me think okay at er best case, earliest case scenario, December 2023. But realistically, come on. We're probably looking at January or February 2024. Um, which I'm down for, honestly. I I'm full on down for. If this is going to be a very beefy section of the game that they're probably remaking and adapting from the original, which I'm hearing t takes an awful lot of material from that core game, um, make sure that they're doing it right, especially if you're going to make characters, uh, you know, bringing in new characters such as Yuffie that we got a taste of, well, phrasing, <laughs> of in the DLC, but then bringing in Sid, Vincent, making Red 13 possibly a playable character, even though, he, you know, the circumstances in the original made us not be able to play as him, so hopefully they can kind of extrapolate a little bit on that. And they gave us, like I said, this teaser. Now, I have not played the original. I doubt confess I've not played Final Fantasy VII, the original. So there's not a lot that I can go into this trailer and pick apart the way that, again, Maximilian Dude did. I'm not able to look at some of these frames and the lines of dialogue. Max went over the top and like started looking at birds and being like, oh, the bird symbolizes this and it does that and it represents this. And I'm like... You do you, chief, because <laughs> I'm I'm not I'm personally not seeing it. But then again, I'm I don't I haven't played not only the original. I didn't play the original Crisis Core. I didn't even watch Advent Children. I didn't. I'm not. I'm. I will be the first to admit I'm not a huge FF7 guy like that, or even a Final Fantasy guy like that. I really enjoyed my time playing the remake back in 2020. That I'm down for the sequel Rebirth here. I'm treating it like a brand new. I'm almost virtually treating it like a new IP. So there's only so much that I can personally speculate out of this trailer that showed what seems to be a planet crashing into another planet. You have Cloud and Sephisef, as uh, Gamer2323 says, Sephisef walking alongside together, going up against like a, a construct, well, not a construction site, but like a city that's been kind of demolished. I think it's called Niflheim. Um, and then at the end, we have uh, things that we may or may not have seen before of Zack carrying a, a damaged Cloud up to... Uh, what looks like a still-to-be-constructed part of Midgar, so uh, we might be dealing with something that doesn't seem like what it seems like. Yeah, I'm trying to be vague as possible to avoid potential spoilers here, but yeah, there's just so much to kind of chew on, but not enough for me to be able to come up with any sound, uh, sound theories because, again, I didn't play the original. I didn't break it down that way. I, I, you know, I didn't play it when it originally came out. I didn't play it most recently. I, I'm very, very fresh to this whole um, mythology and, and lore that's centered around the specific entry that is FF7. I just know that my jaw still nevertheless dropped knowing that they full-on showed us footage and stuff and material from 
Remake Part 2 now dubbed Rebirth. You know what I'm saying? I'm still compartmentalizing the fact that they showed that. I was expecting just, a, you know, the, the director coming forward and saying, yeah, you know, we're working on it. Here's the title. Maybe here's some screenshots or a concept art. But to actually show footage and lines of dialogue and to close out the, the stream saying that this is part of a trilogy. Part 3 doesn't have a title, but it's literally already being worked on. <laughs> part 3 is actually already being worked on, which means that Best case scenario, and I doubt this is going to happen. I severely doubt it. But best case scenario, what if they're working on two and three back to back the way that they do it with movies where it ends it on a cliffhanger in a way where it's like, hey, we, we're going to go ahead and work on these two back to back so that we don't keep you guys waiting for too long. That will be nuts. I doubt it because this is a game and I very, you know, unless you're Assassin's Creed or Call of Duty, very seldom do sequels get made back to back by a single developer in in the sense because that that's where Assassin's Creed and and Call of Duty and well not really Far Cry, but Call of Duty and, and Assassin's Creed their advantage is that they have like three studios working on three different projects almost at the same time and they do like a casual rotation and that's how we get a, a game a year. Um, here it's Square Enix through and through, so that's why it's like, eh, there's only so much that they can kind of stretch themselves. But going back to what I've said before, is that technically speaking, you know, I understand that circumstances are different, especially right now with COVID, but sequels technically should not take as long as the original game because you already have assets and mechanics and, and systems in place that all you have to really do is tweak things accordingly, elevate them, amplify them, make them better, and you know a good chunk of the work should already be cut out for you but that that's just my my viewpoint again i'm an arm uh, i'm speaking as pretty much an armchair developer here i'm still very very grateful that we were still able to end the final fantasy 7 stream with an actual actual tangential look at rebirth that i was like yo this actually has me pretty hyped now i it's time to cool it down because it's probably going to be a while not only before we see this game but also before they're ready to talk about it uh, again so to kind of cleanse the palate, I then watch the Dragon's Dogma 10th anniversary video. I'll keep this really brief and short, to be quite honest, because one disappointing aspect of this uh, of this this video is that, frankly, 90% of it is the original team, primarily comprised of the original director, speaking about his background in video games in playing video games and developing video games how he came over to Capcom how he got involved in making the Dragon's Dogma game his uh you know his uh thought process of how to come up with systems and how to you know what it was like to bring like an online pawn system with that said i had a little bit less of a connection going on while watching this video because Dragon's Dogma it's another backlog game that's part of the library on both PlayStation 3 and Switch and possibly PS5 if I want to buy it on console instead so I can get maybe a potential uh, uh, performance boost on Xbox. If it's, uh, I'm going to have to do my research. I haven't really properly checked, but if there's like a 60 FPS performance boost on Series X, I might just buy it on the Series X because I believe as of the time of this recording, it's going for about 5 bucks. 5 bucks for Series X Dragon's Dogma. I'm like, eh. That actually sounds pretty sweet. Even though um, a couple of years back I bought it for twenty bucks on Switch because of the portability factor, but if it means I can get a sixty FPS four K output, um, I might just you know for five bucks more, I'll probably just do it on Series X. 
nevertheless, what I'm trying to get across here is that I still have yet to play it. <laughs> so that's where, like I said, a loss of a little bit of dissonance is is kind of felt there between how the developer was fondly talking about making Dragon's Dogma and celebrating the 10 years since its uh its release and what it's meant to him and all that good stuff. And that, of course, led to the 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 bombshell at the end, which is a shirt reveal, which is becoming a bit of a meme amongst the gaming industry, which is to take off the sweater, take off whatever's covering it up, and underneath it they have a shirt saying, hey, look, this thing is coming. And it's like, is it just me or you put way too much effort and time and money into creating those shirts than to actually go and focus on making the game? Anyways, um. They via the shirts they reveal that they are in fact working on Dragon's Dogma 2. We get a logo and their official confirmation that uh, Dragon's Dogma 2 is currently in development. God only knows when we're going to be seeing it again be, uh, in terms of it being talked about or officially re-revealed with gameplay. Considering that they didn't show anything else besides the logo and them just saying it's in, in development, we can only assume that it's very very early in development, and we are probably going to have to wait quite literally a couple of years and release for this thing is probably at a realistic level not happening until maybe 2025 possibly and that's you know if we don't experience any form of delay if we're you know being a bit more realistic and pragmatic let's say they add a, a, a an extra delay here 2026 at at the best at best um gives me an ample enough time to really see exactly why it is that this kind of property this this kind of uh, original game has the, the cult following that it is and hopefully one of these days finally scratch it off of the backlog but i'm excited for those of you who got hyped seeing that capcom's get releasing something that isn't street fighter resident evil or monster hunter and I, i'm happy for them and i'm looking forward to it as well and frankly that's gonna be doing it about this week i know much shorter episode but frankly I can't lie. There was really not a a whole lot of breaking stuff when it came to like movie and games and and, and stuff to really talk about in the news cycle that wasn't, you know, like crazy stuff that I'm either either like I said reserving for next week's episode or reserving for an entirely separate video that's going to go up on the news channel such as the Spider-Man Lotus stuff. Definitely stick to stay tuned for the following episode, next week's episode where I'm going to break down the Obi-Wan Kenobi finale as well as the third episode, possibly even fourth episode of Miss Marvel. The only reason why I didn't cover it this week, guys, is because by the time that this episode goes up, which I know that those episodes, those things, you know, the, the, the Kenobi finale, Jesus Christ, Kenobi finale, <laughs> and the subsequent episode of Miss Marvel are going to be out. I understand that, but me and the girlfriend, we've been, we actually got a little. Hold on, let me phrase this carefully. But we were just really busy the Wednesday, the, uh, you know, running errands and driving around uh, the Wednesday that these episodes debuted, and we didn't see each other until that that following Friday. That it's by the time that this episode has to be published and released, it's like there's not enough time, right? I have to record this, so it's gonna have to wait for next week's episode. Um, but that's fine because, like I said, an awful lot of these gaming news, movie news, and stuff are starting to slow down a little bit, especially as we're kind of wiggling out of the. Uh, E3 time, so gaming news are going to start to slow down a little bit unless, like I said, these individual companies, individual studios are going to take matters into their own hands and start unveiling release dates, start showing off gameplay. Eh, I don't know. Like, I'm already seeing some things show, uh, show up here and there that aren't like giant spectacle news to talk about to squeeze into this episode, but they're meaty enough that I'm like, you know what? They're going to be added for the dock 
uh, towards uh, episode 7 of season 4 of the Dark Spidercast. So I'm hoping you guys will tune in then. In the meantime, though, you guys know where to find me. If you guys want to stay in touch with my inner thoughts, t Twitter and Instagram at Dark Spider David. Links can also be found in the description. Or if you guys want to check out the official website or the main niche YouTube channel or the Spider-Man Batman channel, as I, want, I like to call it, those uh, links could also be found in the description. Or simply just look me up on YouTube dark spider david and that's where i will be uh twice a week at the very least or at the very consistent if you will and until next week stay humble <laughs>